The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Record watch again. Stocks keep hitting all-time highs, but will earnings and guidance slow down this amazing run? All that led by the banks today. J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs likely to post huge numbers, but with a catch. New China conflict. President Biden reportedly readying new action over Beijing's free speech crackdown in Hong Kong. Big perks and pay raises. A new survey on just how hard employers are working to get payrolls back to pre-pandemic levels. And what happens when a big ride-hailing company gets knocked? Competitors swoop in. It's happening in China. We'll tell you to who. On this Tuesday, July 13th, this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you might be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get to it. Here's a check on your morning money. Coming off the S&P 500's 39th record closing high of the year, 39. Now, futures, they are mixed once again. No real trend. Dow down a couple ticks. NASDAQ up 33. Kind of the same thing we had yesterday, by the way. But keep an eye on the Dow with 35,000 in sight. Could happen today. You never know. All this is perhaps the most important quarterly earnings in years begin to hit the tape today. They begin this morning with J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. Growth expectations, they are very, very high. Markets expecting a record 65% jump from the same quarter last year. That's according to our own Bob Pisani. Now checking oil because Delta variant lockdowns Growing more concerning, particularly in Asia, but it's not hitting oil. The battle of lower inventories is overcoming concerns about slowdowns. Get this. Rystad Energy noting a 40% drop in domestic flying in China from April's levels as regional outbreaks there keep people at home. Australia also dealing with more lockdowns. And if global jet fuel demand drops, it is certainly something to watch in oil, but right now... Lower inventories in America are winning the game in terms of pricing. We are up nearing 75 once again on WTI crude. And let's get a check on crypto because with stock markets up, crypto was again the big loser on Monday. Every major coin, currency, commodity, whatever you want to call it, down a couple of percent. We're reversing that a bit right now. Bitcoin up a touch, Ethereum up fractionally as well, but kind of been stuck at these same levels now going on a couple of months. All right, more on the markets in just a moment, but right now, let us hit some of this Tuesday's key headlines. And the White House turning up the heat on Beijing. The Biden administration reportedly looking to warn American companies of the increasing risks of doing business in Hong Kong. It's according to the Financial Times. Any potential action comes as China continues to crack down on free speech in Hong Kong and also hitting tech companies there and elsewhere 
with warnings over their use of data. France's antitrust watchdog is hitting Google with a $593 million fine for failing to negotiate in good faith with the press over licensing fees. Google has two months to come up with proposals on how it will compensate news agencies and other publishers for the use of their news or face additional fines of up to $1 million per day. Watch that. A big fight between Google and the news business in France. And the Bank of England is scrapping pandemic-era curbs on dividends from the likes of HSBC, Barclays, and other big banks. The new guidance going into effect immediately, with the Bank of England saying stress tests showed the sector was well-capitalized enough to deal with the fallout from COVID on the economy. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey says, however, quote, risks to the recovery do remain. Households and businesses are likely to need continued support from the financial system as the economy recovers and the government's support measures unwind over the coming months. Still, watch the big banks. They're all higher right now in early trading in the U.K. Okay, now to the ongoing story in China as that country cracks down on its tech sector. And most recently, ride-hailing giant Didi. Investigations and regulations against that company grow, and now its rivals are swooping in to lure drivers to gain market share kind of a ride-hailing free-for-all. Yunus Yun joining us now live from Beijing with more. Yunus, what is the latest step and what are the, what are the ride-hailing giants' rivals now doing? Well, Brian, I want to show you a list of some of Didi's competition uh, that are starting to becoming more and more popular by the day. Uh, these are some of the names of the challengers backed by established players in the car industry as well as in the tech industry. And as I said, they are becoming more and more popular, as I found out. With Didi under pressure, driver Zhang Sheng says his orders are up 10 times. Zhang drives for Didi rival Taotao, an app backed by established carmaker Geely that boasts rides only in EVs. I used to wait an hour for a passenger, he says. Now, order after order is coming in. Jiang Bo is relieved he switched from driving for Didi to its luxury competitor, Shouye. Shouye, funded by state firm Shouqi, markets that, unlike Didi, it owns its fleet and has full-time drivers. The takedown of Didi's apps is terrible for Didi, for drivers, more than customers, he says. If you're a new driver, you can only sign up with Didi's competition. Shouye is considered a niche player, priced slightly higher than Didi. But like Didi's other competitors, Shouye is now offering new users coupons. This ride is about half the usual price. Food delivery firm Meituan has joined the race. It caught attention on Chinese social media by reviving its ride-hailing app, which shut in 2019. So far, Meituan's service has had a lot of kinks. We've had drivers hang up on us and long waiting times, and the app isn't user-friendly. Didi is so experienced and has so many users, he says. For any of Didi's challengers to take over, it would take at least one to two years. Though it's unknown when Didi's path will clear. Yunus Yun, CBC Business News, Beijing. And one interesting feature of the Meituan app is that it includes the competitors like Taosao on the app. So if, for example, Brian, you wanted to call a car here, any of the competitors can answer your call. So that might be a feature that the regulators would like. I think, though, that for Meituan, though, they have to work out the 40-minute waiting time. That is not going to fly.
All right, so let's be clear, Eunice. They own the cars. Their drivers sound like they are employees. That kind of sounds like what we had before Uber, you know, town car companies, Hmm. 777-777 in Carmel or whatever in New York City. It kind of feels like we're just going back to 10 years ago. What's the difference? Well, that would be more for Shouye, but for Meituan, they don't own their cars, but Shouye, which is the one that's a little bit more high-end, uh, that that one is t- takes pride in the fact that they own their own cars and they have their own drivers. But yes, um, it seems as though we might be going back um, back in time a bit, uh, just because there, <laughs> there are now um, more options of, for example, just... Um, Hiring a driver kind of the old-fashioned way, um, not using a ride-hailing wow. app. But, uh, you know, I guess that in a way that, I, that Eunice, the regulators probably would like all of this competition. I, You know what? I figured it out. You want to hear my – I have an idea. Let's start a company. You want to hear my idea? What's your idea? Okay. We're going we're gonna to get a bunch Do of cars. We're going to paint them yellow. <laughs> we're going to paint them yellow. Um we're going to sell them Wait, medallions. Yes. That's a good idea. if you want to go somewhere, you're going to go yeah. on the street and you're going to raise your hand. And if they stop, you get in, you ask them to take you somewhere politely. You pay them when you get there. Also, of course, leave a tip and they drive away. What do you think? Ryan, I don't know if that's going to work. But maybe if we painted them black and white, had some checkers on them or something like that, maybe people would be more attracted. Yeah, or yellow in some cities. Either way, I, I think that model <laughs> may be coming back. Let's find out. Eunice, always love the on-the-ground reports, by the way, or in the air or wherever you may be in the world. Eunice, thank you. <laughs> That's the new model, folks. Hi, sir. Please take me somewhere. All right, now back to the markets and your money. And with concern of the Delta variant growing in parts of the world, new lockdowns in Australia, for example, Vaccines continue to be the key to growth in the economy and stocks. So says your next guest, Dan Vru of Palisades Capital Management, joining us once again. And really, Dan, you look around the world at certain parts in the Delta variant, China, where Eunice just is, parts of Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia, primarily in Asia and Latin America right now. Some concerns here as well. But when you dig into the numbers, do you have real concerns about the U.S. economy and the U.S. markets? Not really, Brian. Not over. Uh, I, I don't see lockdowns coming back. First of all, the public's just not going to put up with it again. I just think nope. that people have been cooped up long enough. Uh, you've talked a lot about uh, millennials you know, gaining a tremendous amount of weight. I think there's a lot of issues out there with mental health issues on this. And you have to weigh the risks. I think the current vaccination program uh, obviously has been enormously effective. It's the reason why we're leading the global recovery right now. Uh, and I, I think the, the variants will come up periodically, but I think they're going to be more regional in nature and should be able to be contained uh, if, if anything you know, big actually uh, happens. I, I tend, I, I, my sense is that this is going to be more of a regional issue versus, uh, versus anything else. Yeah. Yeah, Morgan Stanley had a list of hotspots, Branson, Missouri, a few other parts where they have these localized hits. Let's hope that's the case, because to your point here, from a nation, national perspective, maybe not a lot of appetite. All right, let's get now to some 
an appetite for profit, making some money, because the one thing we love about having you on, Dan, is you always come with some ideas. They are unique. There's a company called Centene. We've all probably heard of the name. I know it's a it's a Medicaid HMO. Uh, what specifically about Centene is so attractive to you? Well, uh you know, Centene has been around, came public in 2001 at a split adjusted price of around $1.15 a share. I was fortunate to have met Michael Nydorf, the company's CEO back then. We've been a shareholder in various Palisade strategies uh, over the entire period of time. But, uh, you know, I like the HMO space, particularly since we're more mid-cycle right now. Centene is an elite compounder of return. When I was on with you last, we talked about Danaher. I put Centene right in the same category. You know, some of the characteristics that we like about it, and again, our compounders strategy, which we call focused equity, was started by my colleague, Will Potter. He and I worked together on the strategy. You know, Centene's got over 100% free cash flow to net income, very high uh, cash flow return on invested capital, and really uh, a culture. Uh, it's just a winning culture. I mean, Michael's done an extraordinary job over many decades putting together an incredibly deep team of people. Here's the key thing with Centene, though. They're going to close the acquisition of Magellan Health, uh, a company in the behavioral health space. I really uh, have concerns that many of our friends are really struggling with ongoing mental health issues around depression. I mean, we've all been through a lot. Some people handle it better than others. And unfortunately, I think that's going to be a tailwind for Centene going forward. But as the largest Medicaid HMO, they're incredibly well positioned uh, going forward as they also are a dominant player in the exchanges and also in Medicare as well, which is a much a very much a growing uh, part of their business okay watch cnc very quickly we had a cnbc pro event the other day with david Giroux at t row price he was yep. he was loving a company called donaher dhr that is also a yep. name you like as well again kind of an under the radar i don't want to call them a mini ge because that might be insulting to them but it's a company <laughs> that, that you've owned for a long time I have. It's had a larger market cap than GE right now. And there uh, and, you know, uh, it, 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 it's it's the perhaps the best example of uh, a company that's just had an extraordinary multi-decade record of allocating capital and delivering for shareholders. It's it's an incredible company. And we still think there's a lot of runway ahead for Danaher. Yeah, after a big three year run up 180 percent, Dan Veru. Always a pleasure to have you on. Let's hope you're right about the trajectory of the American economy. Some good points there. Centene and Donaher. Dan, have a great day. Thank you. You too, Brian. Thanks. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Well, we are just getting started on a Tuesday. When we come back, call it a big box store showdown. How Sam's Club is raising the heat on Costco. Plus, your morning RBI. This one hitting what no doubt is the world's most expensive 150 feet of asphalt. And then from New Mexico to Delaware, Elon Musk back on the stand in a Delaware court defending his company's buyout of Solar City. Very busy hour. Still ahead, Dow Futures off a touch. But we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the morning. Here we go. Stock number one, Walmart. Its Sam's Club warehouse chain is testing a new mobile app feature called Scan and Go. It'll let you buy big ticket items like patio furniture or TVs right from your phone and then choose home delivery. You never even have to check out, even with something huge. Your move, Costco. Stock number two, Disney. Raising prices on ESPN Plus. The monthly plan will go up by a buck to $6.99. The yearly plan, $10. ESPN has been paying up to sign sports rights lately, like with the PGA Tour. And stock number three is Boeing. The FAA says the company will fix a manufacturing defect discovered on some 787 Dreamliners that have yet to be delivered to customers. Remember, Boeing halted deliveries of the 787 in May. It's the second time in a year, by the way. As the FAA reviewed the situation, Boeing stock not helped, down about three-quarters of 1%. All right, coming up, let's talk jobs. What McDonald's and other small businesses are doing to bring in workers. Some of the perks may surprise you. Today's big number, 42.7%. That's how much trading volumes in cryptocurrencies dropped in June compared to the prior month, according to a report by Crypto Compare. The bulk of the slowdown was driven by the crackdown on Bitcoin mining in China. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. If you own a small business, maybe like a fast food franchise, have you tried to find workers lately? Well, if so, you know it's not impossible, but it's not far off. A labor shortage forcing business owners to get creative with some big-time new perks. Let's talk about what some McDonald's franchisees are reportedly doing. Rahel Solomon joining us now with more on that. A heck of a story, Rahel. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Yeah, so Brian, essentially, if companies thought that hiring workers in the first half of the year was hard, it looks like it's just going to get tougher. That's because a new survey out this morning from talent solutions firm Robert Half shows that of nearly 3,000 senior managers, a little more than half plan to fill new positions and a large number plan to fill vacant roles or bring back furloughed workers. Now, on top of all of this, the number of Americans quitting their jobs is at an all-time high. It's creating what Don Fay, senior district director for Robert Half, calls a perfect storm. 
employees are very confident in their ability to find a job. So when that's the case, they're going to be more picky and choosy with the jobs that they take. And that's why you're seeing all these employers have to really showcase what their company has to offer, not only in salary and compensation, which is important, but in professional growth and career growth and other perks and opportunities to try to attract that talent. So what's an employer looking to hire to do? Well, according to the same research, about 48% of companies say that they're providing signing bonuses. 43% are giving more paid time off and 40% are offering better job titles. Some of the things that we're seeing from McDonald's, according to a new report out from the Wall Street Journal. But it's not all dollars and cents. Workers are also increasingly becoming more focused on things like company culture and values. Things like how does the company take care of employees in terms of mental health and wellness. Of course, that was such a big issue during the pandemic and also employee and network resource groups. Uh, We should also say that employers meantime say that they're becoming more flexible about where a candidate lives and also broadening their search geographically. They say there's also some wiggle room in terms of qualifications such as advanced degrees and years of experience, but a perfect storm. And Brian, according to that analyst that we spoke to, she says she's been doing this for 25 years. This is the most active labor market she has ever seen. I mean, you literally can just go from company to company and say, well, what are you offering? What are you offering? So for our business owner viewers out there, what are you hearing and what are you saying is the biggest mistake that they can make right now when trying to find anybody? Well, yeah. So uh, according to Robert Half, the biggest mistake that they're seeing is, you know, I asked, is this a buyer's market or a seller's market? And they say this is an employee's market. This is a worker's market. So the biggest mistake for employers is if you're hiring, you find the right candidate, they meet the right requirements, the, it feels like a great fit. Do not sit on the candidate, make the offer, try to lock it down as soon as you can. Because again, as you just said, Brian, there are lots of options right now. What a, what a difference a year makes. If you are, I don't know if you worked as a teenager in the summer. I I know I certainly did. Flip some burgers in my day. I mean, you can literally just go from, what are you going to give me? How much? Oh, $15.99 an hour? $16? It's pretty insane right now. It's it's very different than when I was in te- when I was a teenager and I would like go to the local pizza shops and basically you know try to convince them to hire me. Yes, it's a very different market, um, you know. So and yet unemployment is still relatively high. There are still lots of jobs that are out there and lots of people who are looking for work. So it's this age old question, of course, that everyone is trying to figure out is you know there are so many people at home looking for work. There are so many employers hiring. It's it's quite a quite a predicament we find ourselves in. You go there with like the, the leather, you know, binder with the resume in it to get a job at, you know, L- Captain D's Seafood or whatever. At least I know I did. <laughs> Rahel Solomon, thank you. It builds of a character. Story. It's what Good I've morning. always told myself. Yes. Good morning. You know what? <laughs> You're darn right it does. Dealing with the public flipping burgers, 100%. Everybody should try it. Rahel, thank you. Agreed. Oh, those, those weren't the days. Uh, anyway. Now let's step outside of money and business with a check on this morning's key global headlines, including protests heating up once again in Cuba as the west coast of America heats up, literally. Francis Rivera in New York now with those stories and more. Francis. Hey, Brian, good morning to you. Yeah, we start with those hot, dry conditions that continue to fan the flames of wildfires out west. There are at least 58 fires burning right now. The biggest so far this year is called the Beckworth Complex, which doubled in size over the weekend, crossed a highway and sent people running for their lives. About 20 homes and other structures have been destroyed. That fire is about a quarter contained, but officials say it is still explosive.
The historic anti-government protests in Cuba have sent a jolt to the White House. President Biden voiced his support for Cuban protesters after the historic uprising this weekend. Cubans took to the street demanding an end to the country's communist leadership, enraged at food shortages and the resurgence of COVID-19. Cuba's president blamed U.S. sanctions. And it was a home run derby for the ages. One more to win it as Alonzo comes out of the timeout and walks it off. What a finish. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. And New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso claims his second straight derby victory, winning the 2021 Home Run Derby. He defeated Salvador Perez, Juan Soto, and finally Trey Mancini in the final round. Alonso hit a total of 74 home runs, 35 in the first round, beating the Texas Rangers' Josh Hamilton's previous record of 28. That was back in 2008. Alonso's win earned him $1 million dollars. And that's more than his salary of over 676000 So let's see. You've got it done this year. Let's see if I'll get it done next year, too, Brian. Hey, at least the Mets are winning something. <laughs> we'll see. You Francis got it. Rivera. And they are a top NL East. Don't screw it up, Mets. Mm-hmm. Francis, thank you. All right, ahead. When tree futures fall, they apparently do make a sound. What is happening now with Lumber's insane year? Will it be a Dow 35,000 kind of Tuesday? Stocks keep punching new records as earnings set to hit the tape. That begins with banks. And while the big names are likely to post some huge numbers, it may also come with a big catch. And the China tech crackdown continues. Beijing dropping the hammer on big tech and free speech. President Biden may be set to take action. It is Tuesday, July 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody, or Tuesday evening, depending on where in the world you may be. It's 531 on the East Coast. And here's a check on your morning money. We are coming off the S&P 500's 39th record closing high of the year. 39. A move up, a nice even 40 today if we get it. Futures not indicating if we will or not. They're mixed. Dow futures down about a tenth. NASDAQ futures up slightly more. Kind of like what we had yesterday. But then the buyers came in. And now we've got our collective eye on Dow 35,000. All this is perhaps the most important quarterly earnings in years, if not ever, begin to hit the tape. I know we say that a lot, but we mean it this time. Here's three reasons why this quarter is so big. Number one, the markets aren't record highs. Not a lot of margin for error. Number two, expectations are for 66% growth from last year. That is massive. In other words, very high expectations. And three, not just about the earnings, but the guidance. What CEOs are going to say about future growth, guidance, inflation, etc. Now, all those numbers and this season kicks off this morning with J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs hitting the tape. A lot of banks all, all week. And why don't we stay there with bank earnings and bring in Christopher Whalen, chairman of Whalen Global Advisors. Because you got Goldman and JPM out today. You got Morgan Stanley, I think, out on Thursday. You got a bunch more in the middle. 
And Chris, reading your latest piece, always a great read, by the way, you think bank earnings are going to be big. We know that. But you also note there may be a big catch in the numbers because of an accounting move with regards to reserves. What exactly may happen that is, let's call it BBI, boring but important? Last year, Brian, good morning, by the way, uh, the banking industry put aside $60 billion in anticipation of a big credit crisis due to COVID, and it didn't happen. There was very little credit impact on U.S. banks last year. There's a lot of reasons for this, but bottom line is we didn't need the money. So now we're taking those reserves back into income because the accountants won't let you leave it there. And uh, as a result, income, dividends, share repurchases are all gonna snap back to where they were back in the first quarter of last year. The year-over-year comparison to the second quarter is not useful. You really should look at first quarter last year, 2019, when you're trying to set your benchmark, set your, your run rate going forward for U.S. banks. So that's really what's going on. It's part accounting, and it's part just that they didn't need to keep those reserves aside for a crisis that did not happen. Okay. So if I've got a if I've got a thousand dollars in a savings account at a local bank and I have a thousand dollars hidden away in a cookie jar in my house and I take the thousand out of the cookie jar and I put it in the bank and I come home and tell my wife, honey, I just doubled our savings. I really didn't. Right. I just kind of moved the money that was hidden to the bank where it's sort of, quote, official. Is that is that in a very rough way? Obviously, Chris, kind of what's happening Correct. The the money never left the bank. It was put aside for a rainy day. It didn't rain. So now we have the opportunity to realize last year's profits now. That's the way you should look at it. If you back that out, that'll tell you what the industry is doing in terms of actual run rate revenue earnings this year. Yeah, the cookie jar, I guess, is a proverbial one that's instead laying on a bank's balance sheet. Uh, Goldman Sachs, very quickly today, obviously huge in trading. Goldman, like with Archegos and others, always seems to kind of win. Do you think their their thick fixed income currencies and commodities trading is going to be huge? What exactly are you looking at from Goldman Sachs with a stock that has doubled in a year on relatively flat revenue? Well, all of the banks, Brian, have run up 50, 40, 30 percent, depending on who you look at. Wells, I think, was the best. Uh, based upon the expectation that eventually income and dividends would go back to normal. And that's what we're doing now. Goldman, I think, if you look at Jeffrey's last month, should have a great quarter. Uh, They are kind of in that same business in terms of the transactional side. The bank side, eh, it's not going to be much for any of these names because uh, rates are falling and spreads are falling. So it's about spreads, not rates. And unfortunately for banks, lending is flat. Uh, there really aren't a lot of opportunities to build or retain assets right now. But I think Goldman should have a great quarter. This is their environment. They like this kind of environment. Change, dynamic, you know, volatility. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah, we showed Jeffries very quickly. Jeffries, Rich Handler uh, and company there, a very unique model. Is Jeffries maybe the one, quote, bank or broker dealer that we must watch the most closely? It doesn't get a lot of press. Well, it doesn't go on the calendar year. They're a month earlier. So if you want to know how investment banking is doing on the street, and they are a broker-dealer, they're not a bank, you always look at Jeffries. I learned that from Dick Bovee, by the way. 
Shout out to Dick Beauvais. Chris Whalen, I know you're going to be busy. I know you love bank earnings season. We appreciate you kicking it off with us, Chris. Have a great day. That's right. Have a good day. <laughs> All right, watch those, those balance sheet moves. Honey, we're rich. I had the money anyway, but I just moved it over here. All right, ahead. New concerns surrounding one key vaccine as regulators downplay a potential third jab coming from another vaccine maker. That's ahead. But before that, some other key headlines. Elon Musk set to return to a Delaware courtroom, part of the shareholder lawsuit involving Tesla's $2 billion buyout of Solar City. During yesterday's proceedings, Musk defended the deal, of course, saying he didn't act improperly, but added that he doesn't even enjoy running Tesla. Huh. From one billionaire to another, the FAA approving the license for Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin to carry people into space. The green light coming ahead of Bezos' flight aboard the company's maiden man voyage next week. And Dubai, already home to the world's tallest building. Now it can add the world's deepest diving pool to its attractions list. The 200-foot-deep pool holds 3.7 million gallons of water. And look at that. It also holds a sunken city that divers can explore. That is wild. And as a diver, I'm down with that. Just got to get to Dubai. Pretty cool stuff. We're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. The FDA is adding a new warning to Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine over concerns about a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. The agency is saying that reaction can cause muscle weakness and occasional paralysis, but stress there have only been about 100 cases so far and adding it is not clear the shot caused the issue. J&J shares down about 1%. All this comes as regulators are apparently not in a rush to approve a booster shot for Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine. Goldman Sachs says the pandemic has led to a surge in productivity. In a new analyst note, the bank says companies have been forced to rapidly digitize their operations since the crisis began. That has resulted in annualized growth and output per hour, climbing to more than 3%. That is nearly double the 1.4% jump recorded in the previous business cycle. And the White House reportedly set to tap a former Obama administration Pentagon official to lead the bureau playing a pivotal role in U.S.-China tension. According to the Wall Street Journal, Alan Estevez will be named the Commerce Department Undersecretary in charge of export control. The position and division have a major say in which technologies are allowed to be exported to China and which ones are blocked, as well as what Chinese companies may be blacklisted by the U.S. Estevez would need Senate confirmation. Well, staying on this theme, Chinese tech and Internet stocks coming off their worst week in more than four months. All that as China's cyberspace regulator orders things like app stores to remove ride-hailing giant Didi and other crackdowns. Beijing issuing a warning to the country's biggest companies, vowing to increase oversight of what they call data security. China also proposing rules to require nearly all companies seeking to list shares overseas to undergo a cyber security review. Let's talk now more about all of this with Cyrus Mayawala. He is head of investment research at Global Data. Cyrus, uh, welcome back to the program. If you really look at what China is doing, go under the hood. They can say, we're just trying to protect user data. This kind of stuff is not happening in the UK where you are. It's not happening in Europe. It's not happening in the US. I mean, is this really just a 
security review or is this about control? Uh, I, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, China operates different to the democracies in the West. And the main difference is there's a blurred line between uh, where the state ends and where private enterprise begins. But that line has got pretty, pretty much pretty big uh, in recent times as Internet companies in China have got bigger and bigger. And now I think the state is reigning, is decided to rein, to rein them in. It's not just peop- uh, companies, it's people. Look at Jack Ma of Alibaba. Starts one of the world's greatest companies, kind of mysteriously relinquishes the CEO role, then kind of mysteriously relinquishes all control and kind of basically vanishes from the public eye. I mean, this is a multi-year crackdown by the Chinese government around Hong Kong, but also Guangzhou, Shenzhen and some of the other technology capitals. What do you think the ultimate goal is, Cyrus? I think the ultimate goal is for China to protect its national sovereignty. So recently, the uh, the U.S. said any any foreign uh, company listing uh, on U.S. stock exchanges must uh, submit to U.S. audit. If they don't uh, comply with that U.S. audit within three years, they can be delisted. Now, the Chinese government clearly does not want to submit uh, sovereignty because, you know, prior to that rule, uh, when the SEC tried to audit a Chinese listed, uh, a U.S. listed company based in China, uh, you know, Chinese laws said that they could not hand over that paper. So it's about sovereignty, but there are bigger issues uh, at play. And of course, everybody knows China is vying to be uh, a superpower alongside the U.S. or even in place of the U.S., uh, and that requires tech supremacy, it requires military supremacy, and it requires control of of trade and finance. And and stock market listings are part of that. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you got to remember, Didi goes public here in the States, and the Chinese government came out and said, hey, you should not have gone public. The stock fell, I think, 25 or or 30 percent in one day as there was a huge crackdown on their data. Is there a situation, Cyrus, where China is the leader in this? Do you think actually other countries Continental Europe may follow what they're doing. There's a lot of regulatory discussion over here, as you know, around antitrust. Maybe we're we're knocking China, but maybe they're just the first to do it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think in many ways uh, there have been antitrust claims against tech companies in the Europe in Europe for many years. The U.S. has just started to look at that. I don't think either. I don't think it'd be wise for either the U.S. or China to break up big tech because you know big tech has dual purpose for military and civilian purposes, and both countries need need strong big companies. Uh, you know, for, for this vying for power and superpower status. Yeah, truly is. What do you think it means for, for U.S. companies or U.K. companies trying to do business in China? It's, it's already extremely difficult. They don't have Twitter. They don't have Google. They, they have pretty much their almost in some ways their own Internet. Uh, is this kind of the final flag? It says, you know what, You're, with the exception of a few things, you want to sell cars, that's fine. But you want to sell technology? Probably not going to happen. Yeah, I think there'll be lots of differences. First of all, I think we'll see the issue of the splinternet becoming a big thing in the sense that the, the Internet will be regulated very differently in China to in other, in other countries. And it'll be in, in, in accordance with China's national interest. And second, I think you'll see two economic zones. Uh, a China zone where, where with countries aligned to China stick together and a, a U.S. zone where countries aligned to the U.S. Uh, values uh, stick together. And I think that will affect it. You've already seen it in the military with uh, uh, the U.S. and Japan doing joint maneuvers uh, near Taiwan. Uh, you've already seen it uh, in, uh, in tech 
where you know Chinese companies are prevented from buying U.S. companies, especially yeah. in the semiconductor space. Uh, and you're beginning to see it in world trade, where China, where China is going to start launching its own digital currency, and that could mean replacing. Well, well the, the aim might be to replace the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. Yeah, and certainly replacing Bitcoin, which is effectively banned in China in many ways. There is a lot going on, and it may be the number one flashpoint for for a global economy and and some risk perspective out there. Cyrus Mayawala, always great perspective. Cyrus, we appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. On deck. Despite those concerns, your morning RBI will stay with China and the more than six figures some folks in Hong Kong are paying just to park. Just parking. No valet included. That's ahead. But first... Two quick big money mover bonuses this morning. Lithium stocks. You want an electric car? You need lithium. The Lit ETF hovering at new highs. 13 is 40 stocks are at all-time highs led by Albemarle. And Lumba cut down to size. Lumber futures now down 55% in two months. The Wood ETF, not Kathy Wood, Wood, down 10% from its May high. While the CUT cut ETF, get it, is off 7%. And a gentle nudge, follow our podcast. We're back after this. Well, today's RBI starts with a really basic question. How much would you pay for a parking space? I don't mean how much would you spend for a couple hours at a parking garage in Times Square. That's like 75 bucks, by the way. But I mean, buying a space at a condo complex that only you or your family can use. You probably think the whole idea is kind of weird. Most American buildings will come with their own space included, but not at the high end in Hong Kong. In fact, reports say that three parking spaces at the ultra-exclusive Mount Nicholson condo complex, there it is, just sold for $1.53 million each. That topped the previous record of $1.3 million also set at Mount Nicholson just two months ago. That $1.5 million price tag means the parking space sold for about $9,500 per square foot. Not impressed? I know it's early. Consider that at that price per square foot, a 3,000-square-foot home would be worth around $28 million, except this is for a piece of asphalt. But then again, if you've ever tried to park in Hong Kong... That may actually be a bargain. Million-dollar parking spaces. Random, but interesting. All right, let's get back down to the markets. Investors turning their attention to earnings season. Bank results on deck. Joining us now, Tomic Wealth Advisors President Mark Avalon. Mark, give us a couple stocks or investment strategies that you like enough that if we buy them now in five years, we too can afford a parking space in Hong Kong. Well, that, that's a tall order, Brian, but I think the market is presenting opportunities here. Look, valuations are high, and investor has have to manage expectations. It's not going to be up for the next 10 out of 12 days like it has been. So once you establish that, we do think there are opportunities to invest. And a couple of areas we're looking at are what, what was the world like before the pandemic? What got hurt? And what is the market missing as we look forward and now that we're reopened? And one of those is Zimmer Bio. We think that companies like Zimmer, whose stocks dropped unnecessarily during the pandemic simply because 
emergency rooms or hospitals were shut down and people weren't getting joint knee replacements. That's over. This stock is trading almost exactly where it was pre-pandemic, and that's not taking into account. We're getting older every year, and with this reopen, we're going to be doing more. We're more active. These orthopedic rooms are going to be packed. We think people who have put off surgeries are going to go back in. We think Zimmer's at the top of our list on a trade like that. So those are the themes we look for, and Zimmer's one of them. And by the way, I want to give you a shout out because you've been on the show many times this year and you made some great calls, names like a PayPal, uh, an Apple. But, you know, those are more well-known names. You've also made some really good calls on advanced auto parts and AutoZone and kind of like the hip. You got two people out there. You got the people that are buying all the new cars and then you got the people that are driving their cars 11, 12, 15 years. And the used car companies sounds like you believe will continue to benefit from that older car trend. Yes, and it's the same concept. We knew that people were moving out of the suburbs, so once they move, they buy the two cars. Those cars need service. Auto zones, advanced auto, they are in the suburbs already. I walked through Bethesda yesterday. I saw two signs for mechanics and mechanics helpers wanted. There's going to be a huge demand for the services that an auto zone or an advanced There are more cars on the street. It's simple logic. We've seen what happened with used car prices because the demand was high. That's the sort of thing we're looking for. Stronger consumer plays into trends like this. And what else got delayed was new shows, particularly the eagerly awaited next season of Ozark. Despite getting a lot of love, you think Netflix may still have a ways to run higher. Yes, in an odd way, this is a reopen trade. We're all thinking we're all going to go out and exercise and climb Mount Rainier and no one's going to sit home and watch watch television. That's not true. I think what happened with Netflix is that the production stopped. No one's talking about what's new at Netflix. No one's asking what shows have any buzz. Well, in six months, that's all going to change. You mentioned Ozark, The Crown's coming out, Bridgerton, Stranger Things. There's a whole list and we saw what happened with Disney the last few days. They had one, they had Black Widow come out. People are thirsting for content. And some went to the movies and some went home. And this thing called winter is coming. And when winter comes and people are in a movie theater and someone's coughing behind them, they're going to say, hey, next time, let's go rent a movie at home or let's go turn on Netflix. So I think we're going to look at Netflix in an odd way as a reopen story. We think it's going to trend higher. It's been flatlining for he- from here. And we're optimistic. Yeah. New shows, new hips, old cars, new parts. We see the themes there. Mark Avalon, always a pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Some great calls recently. Keep them coming. Thanks, buddy. Have a great day. And with that, we wrap up today's Worldwide Exchange. We leave you with Dow Futures down a tick, but you never know. Today could be Dow 35,000 day. We'll know later on when the market's open. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.